you got to love that excitement. Whether they're giving an offering or whether they're going downstairs to Children's Church. Praise God for all of it. Well, Cheryl, good to see you this morning. Cheryl just recovered or still recovering from knee surgery. So, um, and Anyway, well, we are, we are blessed beyond measure this morning to have our friend, our partner in ministry, our brother, Darren Davis, with us this morning. And sadly, Shauna can't be here. Shauna had um, kidney stones on Friday. And she had to have a kidney stone removed, so she's recovering. Peyton's taking care of her right now. And, um, but uh, Darren and Shauna, of course, you know that um, when, we, when, we first, um, when we first partnered up with Darren, Darren was the kingdom-to-kingdom kingdom cluster leader. <laughs> a lot's changed since that time. And uh, now Darren is the affinity group leader for Sub-Saharan Africa, um, a huge daunting undertaking and but God has the right man in there there's only one other thought that I have and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it there's only one other position I could think of and maybe be president of the IMB but I'll just say that but anyhow I'm just I'm, you, you know how that goes but anyhow um but any but anyway um what a what a joy it has been to be able to to watch Darren and Shauna's journey and what God is doing with them and through them and uh, it's just thankful thankful to be able to to call you friend and brother and to um, to get to work alongside of you though though you are far beyond um, our work in South Africa though you're still right there in the midst of it and uh, you know so so there's Darren and Shauna and then they have three children Micah and Callie his wife are with us this morning and, and oh, by the way, um, Darren's mom and dad are here, Jim and Jan. We know them and are just, they're great friends and um, they're family. And so, and then, um, and then there's Meredith, and I've seen, I've seen some pictures. I think, I think Meredith must be in New York right this moment. And, she just uh, got back last night. Just got back mm-hmm. last night. And so, um, be praying for Meredith and then Peyton. And Peyton is back in back here she's been back here okay and um is she headed to mississippi college mississippi college so um so praise the lord for what um what's going on you know they became empty nesters in a matter of speaking um they're in kenya and all of their all of their children are here and uh so we just continue to pray as god continues to do um great things great things in their life so let me pray and then darren's going to come Our dear, most precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you, Father, for all that you are doing. Lord, we we thank you for giving us the opportunity to see you at work, especially there on the African continent. And Lord, Lord, we lift up up all those that are a part of Sub-Saharan Africa and um, the missionaries, the national partners, everyone there, Lord, as, as Darren and Shauna lead that ministry, Lord, we pray over them. I pray for Shauna right this moment. Lord, I pray that she would recover quickly from this surgery. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would just uh, watch over her and, Lord, that you would protect her, that you would protect her health and, and all that's 
all that's been going on in, in her life, Lord, as she walks alongside of her husband and they and they continue to and they continue to lead in the on the platform and in the way you call them to lead. So Lord, I lift up Aaron T right now as he brings your message. I pray, Father, that you would just use him in a mighty way. All that you bring precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Pete. I appreciate your kindness. Uh, your words of encouragement to us, and just the way you have been a true friend to uh, my family uh, over the years, my extended family and my parents, but also in my children. Many times, uh, as my kids transitioned here, they would be trying to get a job or something, and they needed a reference, and they would always ask, well, you think Pastor Pete would be a reference for me? Uh, so they, have a, they, think, uh, they think very highly of uh, uh, Pete and Becky, and we do too. Thank you so much for your kindness. Well, this is my first time to Mission Community Church, and uh, I've been hearing about it. I've been uh, talking with Pastor Pete and my dad about what's been going on here, and it truly is exciting to see how you are seeking after being on mission in this part of Virginia, but then also uh, around the world. As uh, Pastor Pete said, I work now in a very broad, over, looking out over Sub-Saharan Africa. And before I dig into God's Word and, and just share with you, hopefully, a, 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 a message of encouragement uh, from John chapter 10, I just want to give you a, a, maybe a highlight of what's taking place around Africa. You know, when we think of Africa, most of us, we think what we've seen on National Geographic. You got the, the, the remote village, isolated village, people living in grass huts or mud huts, uh, still cooking over fires, uh, uh, still growing their own food. Um, and that is very much still a reality in Africa. But what pe people don't realize is that today, about 37% of Africa's population lives in urban settings. By in the next 15 to 20 years, that number will almost double. By the year 2030, 2040, they anticipate 62% of Africa's population will live in urban settings. More, that's astounding to recognize that that influx of people are moving from the rule and they're moving into urban settings. So that poses a multitude of challenges and opportunities. And so we, as we look out over Sub-Saharan Africa, we are giving great attention to how do we engage strategically in urban settings. If you want to learn more about this, go to imb.org and type in Sub-Saharan Africa and videos and articles will come up that you can see and learn more about that. Another interesting thing that's going on in Africa that we don't realize is that Africa, Africans, are positioned and poised to be the next wave of missionary force across the world. Right now, in the, in the years ahead, it is anticipated that one out of every four one out of every four, uh, four believers will be from Sub-Saharan Africa. Basically, 25 to 30 percent 
of the world's believers, professing followers of Jesus Christ, will be from sub-Saharan Africa. That poses a number of challenges and opportunities. How do we involve and engage with Africans in a way that positions them to actually accomplish what God is putting them in a place to do? Imagine Africans reaching Africans. Africans reaching the world for Christ. Let me say this. There is no people on the continent that is more tough, more resilient, more hopeful and joyful than Africans. They are wonderful, resilient, strong, gifted, capable people. So we, as we look at our work across sub-Saharan Africa, here are some things we want to do. We want to shore up theological education. What kind of Christianity will Africans take to the rest of the world? We want, that, we want that Christianity to be firmly biblical, grounded in solid theology. Theology that promotes healthy relationships with one another, that promotes healthy relationships with God, that promotes healthy preaching and teaching and leadership development. And so we're investing heavily into theological education across sub-Saharan Africa. Our theological institutions, we're giving special attention to make sure they are strong, vibrant, capable uh, to, to train godly, strong leaders for the future of what's taking place across Africa. And we're looking at how do we bring grassroots, effective missionary task, church planting training across to hundreds and thousands of sub-Saharan Africans throughout that part of the world. Why? Because Africa is on the rise. Africa will be, has the potential to be, the next wave of missionary sending across the world. And we want to do our part to help that take place. But another challenge that we face is 26% of the world's refugees are sub-Saharan are from sub-Saharan Africa. 26%. We see on the news Syria. We see on the news that, that Middle East region where refugees are, are there's such a crisis of ref, refugees and internally displaced people. But what we don't see is the numbers of refugees that we have in sub-Saharan Africa. It is estimated that the, the United Nations uh, High Commission on Refugees is focused on 26% of the people they work with are sub-Saharan Africa. And so we're looking at how do we engage and help refugees. Uganda, every day, 3,000 refugees walk across the border from South Sudan, from, uh, from Central Africa Republic, from other places into Uganda to find refuge. How do we come alongside and impact and help them. So as you look at these and you want to know more about this, I encourage you go to www.imb.org. There are videos that are, that are really well done that help you get an idea of more and more what is going on in, around the world. And there are videos on, the, on this website regarding the urban 
the, the move to the urban. There's uh, articles about theological education. There are videos about the refugee crisis. There uh, are videos about the overall needs across sub-Saharan Africa. And so I wanted you, Mission Community Church, who have walked with my family for many, many years to see the kinds of things that we're giving focus to in our new role as the Affinity Group leader. Affinity Group leader is the term for the leadership in the International Mission Board over a, uh, an, an, a region of the world or what we call an affinity. And so the affinity that I'm over is pretty much everything south of the Sahara Desert in, along that northern uh, uh, area of, of North Africa. So everything south of that North Africa Sahara Desert region all the way down to South Africa that's the area that I cover. I work with six cluster leaders, which is what I used to be in the south. So now I have six guys that oversee six different clusters. And then we drive forward towards a strategy of being incarnational catalysts. We want to be people that are in the culture. We want to catalyze Africans, partners from overseas, and ourselves to be engaged in empowering limitless partners to be about the missionary task. The missionary task is simple. We enter a mission field. We evangelize that mission field. We provide discipleship. We plant healthy churches. We train those leaders so that they can lead their churches, so that they can, they can be missionaries of, of, uh, of other areas. And then through that leadership training and development, we see that, you know, we're not needed in the same role that we have always been needed. And so we phase to a uh, exit, but we're exiting along with partnership. So the missionary task, entry, evangelism, discipleship, healthy church planting, leadership development, and then exit to partnership. So, in a nutshell, that's what I do. I look out over Sub-Saharan Africa, and I make sure our people are engaged in that way. Why do I do this? Jesus had some very, very interesting words in John chapter 10. He is talking about the parable of the good shepherd. He is talking about this, uh, uh, that he is the good shepherd. And he says something in that that I want to highlight this morning. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Remember that as we move forward. I want to start by just sharing with you a little bit about William Carey. William Carey is the father, many call him the father of modern missions. He was born in 1761 in England. He grew up in a very poor home. He didn't have much of an education, but he was self-educated. He began working as a cobbler. Uh, now that's not cooking blackberry cobbler. That's the kind that works with shoes. And so he was learning how to do this. And the guy he worked for had a library. And William Carey would go into that man's library and read everything. He wasn't a believer. He didn't know who Jesus was. But he read a New Testament commentary. <laughs> now imagine that. As a 17, 18-year-old, he read a commentary on the New Testament. And through that and other influences, he was saved. 
He repented from his safe, repented from his sins, and found faith in Jesus Christ. Now, he had been an Anglican, but he was a nominal Anglican. So he, uh, through reading these books, well, he also read uh, a, a book that had a lot of Greek in it. He read the Greek New Testament and other things. He taught himself Greek. He later taught himself Hebrew. He later taught himself several languages. But through all of this, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he began to preach and teach. And he was a minister of the gospel. In 1786, William Carey and another young minister joined a group of ministers for a a meeting where several different men preached and taught. And the crowds were there. Well, after everybody had gone, there was a... The, the ministers stayed together. And there were two young ministers, William Carey and a friend of his. They had bo- both taught as well. Well, the senior minister, his name was Dr. Dillon, he said, young men, ask a question. Ask whatever question you would like, and we will dis- debate it and discuss it among ourselves. Well, Doc, uh, Mr. Uh, William Carey was a little bit hesitant to do this, and he made excuses. No, I don't want to ask a question. And well, Dr. Dillon would have nothing to do with it. And so William Carey posed a question. The question was was this: whether the command given to the apostles to teach all nations was not obligatory on all succeeding ministers to the end of the world, seeing that the accompanying promise was of equal extent. He was basically asking the commandment to, to, the, to the disciples to go and make disciples, isn't it also relevant to us today? It was a question that he had pondered on his own. It was a question he had had on one-on-one conversations. But in this day and time, it was a question that he was very hesitant to speak to the church at large. You know, he had read many, many books. Many of the books he loved to read were true accounts of voyages. So he had read Captain Cook's Voyages Around the World. And this awakened his interest in the heathen found around the world. Well, Dr. Dillon, Dr. Ryland had struggled to get his thoughts because this question put him back and actually offended him. Hear what Dr. Ryland said. Young man, sit down. When God is pleased to convert the heathen world, he will do it without your help or mine. Well, William Carey was mortified. But fortunately, it did not deter him in the conviction that this commandment to go into the world and share the gospel was for him. William Carey was known for saying this. And I think it's very relevant for Mission Church. His motto was, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, uh, attempt great things for God. When I look at this church, you're expecting great things from God and you're attempting great things for Him. When I look at John chapter 10... This motto, in many ways, sums up what Jesus is trying to say. Expect great things from God, eternal life, abundant life. Attempt great things for God, because I have other sheep. 
attempt great things for God, and there is no greater attempt than to redeem a lost world. Make no mistake about it. There is no greater purpose on life than to bring the lost to saving salvation in Jesus Christ, and we know only God can do that. But there is no greater expectation that we can hold on to than that of eternal life. Carey, William Carey's, uh, um, uh, Carey was the predecessor of David Livingston. David Livingston, a great missionary to Africa. He opened the interior of Africa to missions. He also tried to uh, abolish slavery and tried to save the, the slaves uh, that were in the interior of Africa. He served on Africa soil from 1840 until 1873 when he died on Africa soil. Africans took his body and put it into a, a makeshift box and carried it from the interior all the way to the Indian Ocean. Put it on a vessel and it went back to England and it's buried at the, um, it's buried at the, uh, um, can't find it here, just a second. So sorry. Anyway, it's, oh, it's, it's buried at the, um, golly, I can't remember the name. But anyway, on, the, on his tombstone, it says these words from John chapter 10, verse 6. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. There he is buried in London, and on his tombstone, he wanted this to be on the, the tombstone. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. Well, these are the words of Jesus from John chapter 10, verse 21. And I think William Carey's motto sums it up very, very well. So let's read John chapter 10, verse 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow." But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved." And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why should we listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What words from Jesus? What claim, what an amazing claim Jesus makes. But before we dive into chapter 10, it is very important that we understand that this is actually the, uh, a conversation that has been going on for a while. It starts back in, in chapter 9. And so it is critical that we get the context here. You see, in this case, Jesus is answering a question, his disciples have asked in reference to a blind man that Jesus had healed. In the beginning of chapter 9, it says, Who sinned, talking about this blind man, who sinned, this man who's blind or his parents? Now, there was a belief that any such ailment, any such problem, uh, physical uh, uh, struggle was the result of sin, blindness, Maybe a, a, a lame, maybe they can't walk, maybe they, you know, whatever the problem might be, there was a feeling that, ah, this was caused by sin. Jesus, however, he says, no, that's not the case. The reason is much, much more important than that. It is so that the works of God, the power of God, might be displayed for all to see. He he was saying, this is so that you can know that God is God and that you know I am God. So this man was healed. He goes off and the way Jesus did it is he spat upon the ground and he lifted the dirt with the saliva and he made mud in his hand and he put that mud on the blind man's eyes and he said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it there and you will see. And so he did. He ran off and he washed in the pool of Siloam and lo and behold, yes, he could see. Well, he goes home and the people are confused. Who is this guy? It looks like, it looks like so-and-so's son, but that guy is blind. It can't be him. Well, upon further investigation, it is him. So they take him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, are you sure this is your son? The parents say, yes, this is my son. Well, how does he see? And the blind man says, Jesus healed me. Jesus is the one that healed me. Well, they couldn't believe that. How could a sinner who healed on the Sabbath really perform a miracle like this? You see, in verse 24, let's look at what he says. So a second time... This is the Pharisees called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Here's what the Pharisees are trying to do. Don't give Jesus credit 
give God the glory. Now here's the difference. The Pharisees believed in God, but they didn't believe Jesus was God. So they're trying to deter the, 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 the blind man and everybody else from believing in Jesus, from believing in who Jesus is. But in earlier in verse 9, we, we compare 9.24 to 9.38. Look at 9.38. And he said, this is the, bl- the blind man saying to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And then what did he do? And he worshiped him. Make no mistake about it, my friends. Either Jesus is crazy or he is Christ. Either he is insane or he is the Messiah. This this situation, the Pharisees are looking at what Jesus has done. They are trying everything to keep Jesus from being worshipped. And they are trying to focus their worship elsewhere. Chapter 10 can be summarized this way. Jesus is the true shepherd because he laid his life down for the sheep. And he took his life back up again. He laid his life down and he took it up again. This is what John chapter 10 is all about. Peril, uh, th- this setting, we see Jesus, we see the Pharisees, we see the disciples, we see Jews standing around listening, and the beggar is in a conversation, and Jesus is claiming and affirming his deity. And the Pharisees have just said, give, uh, give glory to God, not to this man. That is what is sitting in this situation. The Pharisees... As we look at chapter 10, they're the false shepherds. The Pharisees are, are, are living out a, a, a desire to lord things over those that they follow. I mean, these guys fleece the sheep. The Pharisees fleece the sheep. They, they take advantage of the sheep. They burden them with rules and laws and requirements. Jesus is the true shepherd, and he lays his life down for the sheep, but he can take his life back up again. Make no mistake, there is one Savior and only one way to him. There is one Savior and one way to him. Look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some of the way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow." but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There is only one Savior, 
There is only one Messiah, and there is only one way to Him. Here, Jesus is clearly identifying Himself as the shepherd. And He is claiming He is the only way to salvation. This is an incredible claim. Like I said, He is either crazy, He is insane, or He is actually speaking the truth. And look at verse 17 of chapter 10. For this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. You know, I'm capable of laying my life down. I can lay my life down for my parents. I can lay my life down for my wife. I can lay my life down for one of my children. I can even lay my life down for my great, mighty God. But friends, once I lay it down, I can't take it back. Once I'm dead, I'm dead. Jesus is saying this. I, the Father loves me because I am going to sacrificially lay my life down for the lost sheep, but I am going to take it back again. I am going to defeat death. This man is either Savior or senseless. This man is either Christ or crazy. This man is either divine or he is deranged. Which one is it? So, there's only one way to the Savior. Jesus is clearly identifying himself as the shepherd. And secondly, he is also clearly stating there's only one way to him. His audience that people have listened to, remember the Pharisees are listening Remember, the blind man is listening. The disciples are listening. Other Jews are probably around listening. The Pharisees, everybody knows the Pharisees have created rule after rule after rule that had to be followed in order to get to heaven. They've taken the Ten Commandments, and there are actually 613 commandments that they have given so that they can follow the Ten Commandments. So you start with Ten Commandments. Well, the the Pharisees, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, through sermons and teachings, created 613 more rules and regulations. Can you imagine that? And those had to be followed in order to have a relationship with God. Well, if you carry on and look at it, then they wrote or or compiled all these other rules in in in, in something called the Mishnah. And it's Jewish sermons and sayings meant to interpret the Mosaic Law, which is the Ten Commandments, which expanded to 613 rules. And in the Mishnah, there are thousands and thousands of rules, requirements, regulations that we must follow if we are to have a relationship with uh, with God. Jesus is saying... Those are not the way to salvation. And what is he saying? He's saying he is. He is saying he is. My friends, there are two types of people in this world. There are blind and seeing. And I'm not talking about being able to see like I can see. I'm talking about spiritual sight. There are two types of people. Those that can see and those that are blind. Those that can hear and those that are deaf. 
And there are the, that mean, what I mean by that, there are two types of people, saved and lost. You break down the entire population of the world. Either they're lost, blind, deaf, or they're saved, seeing, hearing. And Jesus is the one that creates the opportunity for the lost to be saved. Jesus is clearly communicating. There's only one shepherd, there's only one true shepherd and I am he. And he is saying if you want to have eternal life and if you want to be in uh, heaven then you believe in me. This is both deeply encouraging but it is also deeply concerning. It is encouraging to me because I know that I know that I know that it's true. I know that I am his sheep. <clears throat> I know that he gave his life for me. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing righteous about me. There is nothing that I've done or ever will do that deserves the grace that God has shown me through His Son, Jesus Christ. But when Jesus speaks about there are, there are uh, sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this flock, guess who He's talking about? He's talking about me. He's talking about you. Here we are thousands of years after Jesus spoke these words, but Jesus had you and me on His heart. I have sheep that are not of this fold. So he's saying, I'm gathering my sheep right here. And you and you and you and you and you here in this setting, some of you Pharisees are part of that sheep. Some of you Jews are part of that sheep. Some of you disciples are part of the, the flock. But I want you to know, I have more than just this. I have other sheep that you know not of. I know this to be true. Jesus is the Savior. I know this to be true. He is the Christ. He is the divine. And I am compelled to believe it because I am a sinner and I deserve nothing. But He has blessed me with everything. I was downtown Richmond uh, earlier last week. And I was getting a cell phone fixed and there was a 22-year-old kid there. His name was Michael. Just got into a conversation with him. He was very friendly as he fixed the cell phone. I was uh, talking to him and getting to know him. And somehow it came up that he used to be a part of the church. And he just said, no, there's just, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, they don't uh, believe the right way. They don't, they're, uh, they don't, um, uh, they're hypocrites. And, you know, the, the, the normal things. And he talked and talked. And I said, well, you know, have you ever read the Bible? He goes, I tried that. It doesn't make any sense. I said, that's funny. Some of the same things you're saying about the religious leaders that you know are the same things Jesus said about the religious leaders. And he was like, what? Really? I said, yeah. Some of the same things. He described the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. What does that mean? They look really nice on the outside, but inside they're dead. I said, you know, you might want to read the Bible again. Now, he's lost, but I don't know. Is he one of the sheep Jesus was talking about in this passage? I don't know yet. He hasn't, 
repented and trusted and had faith in Jesus Christ. So I don't know, but I know this. He has other sheep. He was talking about you. And when we walk out those doors, and if anyone in here do not, does not know Jesus as his Lord and Savior or her Lord and Savior, well, you might be one of those lost sheep that he is calling to himself. But I guarantee you, we go out those doors, and you go to the grocery store, you go to the restaurant, you go to work, there are lost people. And if we will carefully, politely, engage in good conversations with them and we get to know them and use those conversations to help us communicate about the good shepherd we will find lost sheep that are to be saved well the next nine verses are about the enemy who seeks to destroy within those same nine verses there's an enemy who seeks to destroy jesus is really pointing to the Pharisees here. He is saying, you're the thieves. You're the robbers. You are false shepherds. You're self-appointed. You're self-glorified. You are false. And you fleece the sheep instead of encourage them. Well, we also know there are other um, enemies. We know that the ultimate enemy is the evil one himself who seeks to steal, kill, and kill and destroy. But compare that to what Jesus says. The enemy is a, th is a thief. He's a robber. He's a murderer. Jesus is the giver of abundant life. That is truly encouraging. And then verse 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father." Isn't this encouraging? Who are the sheep not of this fold? Who is Jesus talking about? If you have come to the place where you know that you were without hope, that you know without Jesus you're lost, that you have been called out from the good shepherd for salvation, for the one uh, uh, to be a part of the fold, then that is... This is who he's talking about. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. And what does he say? He says, you will be with me for eternity. Expect great things from God. If you are a child of God, if you are a shepherd, if you are a sheep, and you are a part of his, you are his, you were in his flock. There is no greater expectation than being with him in heaven. Expect great things from God. Because he is the giver of eternal life. Uh, and, and do you know he has known that you were his from before the foundation of the world. I don't understand this, but in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, just... 
look at this verse. It's so encouraging to know that, uh, uh, that he has known about you and me from before the foundation of the world. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Jesus, when he spoke these words in John chapter 10, he had you and me on, in his mind. When he created, when he created, the Bible says that God through created the world. When he was doing that, he had us on his mind. God, in his goodness, in his greatness, knew that he was going to be, that we were going to spend eternity with him. So I encourage you with this truth. Eternal life is ours. Heaven is ours. Expect great things from God. But that truth also compels us. It compels us to be about finding those sheep that are His. Jesus is saying that His sheep are His and He will be with them in heaven and that is the fact that we can count on. But He is also saying there are those sheep out there that I have these other sheep and you and I are a part of finding those other sheep. Man, it's so encouraging to find other sheep in Africa, isn't it, Pete? I mean, you, you go into this village, witchcraft, animism is rampant, and yet in that darkness, there is a light. There are people that are coming out of darkness into light. They are going from blindness to being able to see. They are going from being deaf to being able to hear. Why? Because God saved them from the foundation of the world. We cannot become indifferent to the lostness that is right outside these doors. Why can't we? How can we become indifferent when we have been taken out of the darkness and placed in the light? How can we become indifferent when we've gone from being blind to seeing? How can we become indifferent when we've gone from not being able to hear to being able to hear? Any of us who study and understand the Scriptures, God is calling us to be about doing great things for Him, and there is nothing greater than sharing the truths of the Gospel with those that are lost. You know, I walked out of that cell phone store ah michael he didn't receive jesus but you know what he said to me he goes before i left he goes you know i think i need to read the bible again i said you should start with the gospels read john read mark and i think you'll find a lot in common if you'll read and understand that's encouraging god is calling us to be about reaching a lost world what about william carey in 1793, William Carey sailed to India. He did mission work in the north part of Calcutta. In 1794, a year later, his five-year-old son died. 1800, he published the Bengali New Testament. In 1809, he completed the Bengali Bible. 
1812, fire swept through. And he had the Bengali Bible translated. He was starting to print it with a printing press. He lost everything. He lost the Bengali New Testament translation. He lost the Bengali Old Testament translation. He lost the printing press. He lost almost everything in that fire. He started translating the Bible again. And in, by 1832, Carey oversaw the translation and printing of Bibles in 44 languages and dialects across India. He also saw laborers, women, children, and even upper class uh, people from India come to faith in Christ. There is no greater expectation for us than heaven and no greater attempt that we can make than to, to serve God by being about His gospel here and around the world. Mission Church, I just want to thank you because you do this. You are engaged in reaching your community. You're engaged in reaching the world for Christ. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 10 that we are to be about. Because there are sheep that are not, that he has sheep that are not of this fold. And that is true today. Just as it was true when Jesus spoke it to the blind man, to his disciples, and to the Pharisees. May we go out these doors and be about helping the blind see and the deaf hear, the lost saved. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can open it up and be encouraged. Be encouraged that because of our faith in you, we have a great expectation of being with you for an eternity. And we have a great opportunity to attempt great things for you. And there is no greater attempt than to share the gospel with a lost person in hopes that he would be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.